podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the King and AI podcast. My name's Kelly Cates and you'll be listening to my dad, uh, Kenny Dalglish, on this podcast and getting his thoughts on football issues about Liverpool, but also about other things as well. And the reason the podcast has come about is because of our family's charity, the Marina Dalglish Appeal, which was set up to raise money to help cancer patients and their families. So if you'd like to support that, that would be fantastic. As much as it's about raising awareness, it is also about the financial support, if possible. If you want to donate, you can go to anfieldindex.com slash MDA, or you can go to the Marina Dalglish Appeal website to find out a little bit more about the charity and the work that they do. It's worth having a read about. It's a really great charity and it's something that's very close to all our hearts. Enjoy the show. Hello, I'm Eddie Gibbs and welcome to the latest episode of The King and AI here on Anfield Index Pro. This is a podcast where we have the fortune to share in the regular thoughts and wisdom of Liverpool legend Sir Kenny Dalglish, as well as some of the thoughts and the more irregular variety from head coach of Miami FC, Mr. Paul Dalglish. Now, as Kelly said at the top of the show, the key objective of this podcast is to raise awareness and help with fundraising for the Marina Dalglish appeal. And once again, we'd like to thank you all for all those donations uh, that you've made so far and encourage you all, if you can, to head over to www.anfieldindex.com forward slash MDA and pledge whatever you can, even if it's just a small amount using the monthly donation option to help the, to help raise funds for this fantastic appeal. So now the ball is back out and uh, we're going to mix things up a little this week. First up, we'll have some chat about the game at Wembley, then look at uh, the uh Paris Saint-Germain game and the start of the Champions League. Then we'll have a few questions that we can put to uh, Kenny and Paul at the end. So firstly, over to Kenny, and I'm sure you're uh, just as pleased as the rest of us at the international breakers over in the Reds are not only back in action, but still maintaining their 100% start to the season with that fine win at Wembley over Spurs. Yes, it was a very positive reaction uh, to go back to where we get beat 4-1 last year and turn that round completely and come away with all three points. Uh, it was a great credit to the players and, and Jürgen. And uh, I think it coming in chopper, Man City losing a couple of points a few weeks ago and us capitalising on that as well. I think uh, it's starting to look quite promising at the moment. So uh, they got what they deserved. That was the full, full number of points. And they came away very happy. And Paul, it was an early morning one for you over in Miami. Uh, what were your thoughts on on the, both the performance and the result? I'm just trying to work out what you mean by irregular, Eddie. In the intro, the irregular. You built him up and you called me irregular. I've got feelings, you know, Eddie. I'm not made of stone. I think it would be fair to say that some of your thoughts and comments are are a little bit off the wall and a little bit of the irregular variety. I think that was what I was trying to trying to get out of there. Oh, like, you do you do like to oh. wind you, you do like to wind your dad up a bit on this show. Right. Yeah, but what All you've right. got to understand is adoption, right? Paul, <laughs> Paul has actually been adopted. That's very nice, that. That's so very don't nice. Blame, don't blame me you know for you Paul. Can, you know you can divorce your parents. You can do that as well now. Well, so, you need to find them first, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> hey, my mum my was there. I know, I know that. I know who, yeah, you're debatable, yeah. but there we go. Well, so, no. you just need to take take your mum's word for that sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so, the yeah, no, it was it 
fantastic. I think the the one thing that you've you've got to do if you want to win titles is pick up points uh, when you're in games that are, are kind of close and, and you don't always have to play Hollywood football. You, you've just got to try and pick up as many points as you can and add them up at the end of the season. And I think, as my dad said as well, the it's mental toughness as well. You know, I think when you when they drop points, when Man City drop points, being able to win that game because all of a sudden the, the pressure's on you, and then being able to to go back when everyone's looking at this game, saying, "Hey, look what happened last year," and it turned the season around, and to go and and put in a performance that wins the game as well, it's a great psychological boost for for the team. So it's it's really really promising. As my dad says, something feels different this year, uh, and long may it continue. So, Kenny, who were the standout performers for you? I mean, on our rating show, uh, Rate Don't Hate, the podcast that we do after every game, they seem to imply that Roberto Firmino was man of the match uh, from a Liverpool perspective. But I saw calls from various media outlets with the names of uh, James Milner, Virgil van Dijk, uh, Gini Wijnaldum as well. So I feel it's always a good thing from a team perspective when there is no obvious man of the match. Well, I think the more people that make the contribution, the better chance you have of being successful. I think you mentioned uh, uh, Virgil van Dijk there, who's... Um, presence and whose contribution since he came in has been excellent. I think James Milner's been excellent uh, in every game this season. He's been as good as anybody we've had and it's nice to see that, that Firmino has, has started very well this season. But, I mean, obviously people might focus in on, on Mo Salah and say, well, is this a reaction to last year? Listen, last year was really exceptional for Mo and you cannot expect him to get the same numbers as he got last year but despite not having as positive numbers he's still a tremendous threat so if he's he's going to come good eventually he's going to get back in and get a few goals eventually and if, you, if you're coming along and there's other people making a the contribution then fine as a team it's not just one individual it's not about somebody playing better than other. It's what you get collectively that, that gets you trophies at the end of the season. And collectively, and that's not just the ones that have been playing, also the ones that are on the substitutes bench are waiting to come back to fitness. We've got a really strong squad this year. And I, I think it's going to be difficult for a lot of teams to hold on to us. And Paul, obviously you'll get into this uh, more tactically uh, in your in your own show, but what were your, what were your sort of overviews of the game and the players uh, and, and how we lined up? Um, I, I thought that the game Liverpool came out the gates flying for for five minutes, and then Tottenham took control of the ball really after that in for the rest of the first half, but not really the game. They they passed it, they passed it, they passed it, but they they never really created many chances. And and I think um, I think Liverpool were very very good at at punishing. Spurs when they made mistakes trying to trying to build in their own half and I think when we got the when we got the second goal it was it was very very comfortable it was it was a comfortable it was a comfortable day I thought Spurs I saw I understood what they tried to do tactically but they they just didn't do it right uh, and then I thought they looked they didn't look themselves either Spurs I think the after international breaks you, you're never really sure what's going to happen the, the games can sometimes be a little bit flat we've seen us draw a lot of a lot of games or lose a lot of games after international breaks and after Champions League games where you've had 
you know, a, uh, a change of environment. So, as I said earlier, just to get the three points is is massive. I think I think the problem Spurs might have this season is that they had an awful lot of players away at the World Cup representing their countries that, that did very well in the tournament. And I think, although the manager's done a magnificent job in, in saying that he was, he's really content with the players that he's got, uh, I still think as a supporter, uh, after every season, and it happened time upon time with, with Liverpool in the past, and it's happened everywhere, the dressing room, the players in the dressing room are expecting to see a new face. Just to bring a new line of partner into the dressing room or a new way of thinking on the on the training pitch or on the on the match pitch. And when they don't do that, I think there's a tinge of disappointment. I think there's a tinge of disappointment for the supporters that thought I've never brought anybody in. I mean, I know they would need to have brought in a player who was better than what they had. But there must have been somebody out there that they thought would have helped them along the way. And I think if I was a supporter and a player or any do we talk them, the fact that they never brought anybody in would be a disappointing thing for me, especially moving into a new stadium. But but do you think that's the reason why? Do you think it's because uh, the money of the stadium's all, maybe gone overboard yeah. and, and they, they, they haven't got the money to spend on, on players? Well well ours are ours is just the reason why. I don't know. Why it didn't happen? Were the, were the players that he could get no good enough in the manager's opinion to bring in and improve what he had? Uh, I really don't know what the situation was and why it never happened. But I think it is always a disappointment that it didn't happen. Uh, if, it, if it wasn't possible, then fine. But there's always something possible that you go. I yeah. thought you, I think when you get the initiative and you get positivity, I think you've got to. You've got to continue that, and I think that's what that's what Jurgen's done. That every transfer yeah. window, he's gone out and he's brought in somebody else, and he's made it better. He brought in uh, Virgil at the, in January, and then he brought in uh, Allison. And you know, what I mean, it's it's all gone. It's, it's all positive for Liverpool. Dad, you know the other thing I felt as well. You know that when you bring in a new player. You've players are competitive, aren't they? So you, you bring in a new player, and, and there's always a feeling in in the dressing room that you want to try and show that new player that comes in how good you are, or you want to try and impress them, you know. And it, it's like you want to, and and I think the new player comes in and maybe is excited to be there. And it, there's a lot of on-field things that it improves as well. Just that from from people just trying to. You know, egos really just trying to show people how good they are, but, and that makes everybody better. Well, I don't think you need to show anybody how good you are. I think the coach knows if you're good or bad. And I well, think the, the, you know, I think like when when a, when... once a player comes in, the only person that's unhappy is the person that's in his position because it's more competition for him. But I think, I think now, though, well, it's more important to have have uh, the rest of the squad and the millions of fans happy and giving yourself an opportunity to try and win something if you increase the quality of the squad it's not just about one person so but it, i think it just freshens it up now i think it i think well, it freshens things up and it gives it gives people a different environment it, it just it just uh i i always found that you know with the best players in the team if you brought in a new player they wanted to show 
they wanted to show players how good they were. Uh, yeah, but you, and if you if you look at when there's a change in management, mm-hmm. no, every time, but normally there's an uplift in performance because it's yeah. a fresh voice, it's a fresh face, yeah. and the same thing yeah. happens with players. Yeah, that's so, exactly the same thing. Yeah, I think you need it fresh in it, but I think yeah. also, I think uh, Jurgen has been quite clever with what he's done at the start of this season. He's he's not made too many changes. Uh, and the people that one or two that have been in the World Cup have been given the opportunity to get a wee bit longer rest than what some other people have in some other yeah. teams. So I think uh, he's been quite clever with that, and I think that's I think that's the right way to go about it. And the results, I mean, he's left himself with a very healthy problem that well, we've won five. How do I make a change now? I mean, he's only made one yeah. change to the start in the eleven. That was Jordan coming in last yeah. week. So. I think he's done it really well. The other, the other thing, Dad, just on uh, just on the point as well, is that you're talking about the only person that's disappointed is the person who he's coming in to replace. I think I think that's with the amount of rotation in football now. I think that uh, that that it still exists, but I think it's a little bit less than it used to be as well because you know you're really going to get minutes at some stage, uh, and I think that. As you said, the, the fresh net ups, like it is the effect of of a new manager coming in and people thinking they've got a fresh start, you know, or they, they want to try and impress the new manager. And, and you're right, it's, 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 you can tell if the player, it's, you can tell if the manager was like when the change is made, because if the results improve, then it looked like the players wanted a change. If the results get worse, then it looks like the players like the, the old manager. So, uh, and by the way, well, yeah. That's not always the manager they blame. No. It doesn't matter who's in charge or if you like or dislike them. Yeah. Surely you've got respect for yourself. Correct. So go and Correct. do it. If you, you, nobody's asking you to go and do it for the manager, but they're asking no. you to go and do it for yourself and the people that come along and watch. And I can't so understand. I can't understand people who, who use that as an excuse or say, well, they never, they didn't like the manager. That's not necessarily it's no necessary for you to like the manager but surely you want to go home after a game and you've trained all week and have a positive result I would yeah. I, for me but I prefer going home when we do yeah yeah I think you you don't I think you don't play there's different parts to it isn't it there's some people that just have a complete disconnect with a manager and there's some people that have uh, just don't suit the manager's tactics and then, when a new manager comes in, then it it's, uh, it can be, oh, this might suit me a little bit better, or I might have a better relationship with this guy. But you're right; you do play for yourself. You've, you've got a you've got a responsibility and a professional pride to do your best every time you pull a jersey on. Regardless of who the manager that's a, is, that's a different discussion. Saying that the tactics don't suit, or um, or whatever doesn't suit the players' style of play. You're not saying that. I'm talking about their attitude. And their commitment yeah. to try and do it and get a result. Yeah, yeah. Whether they agree or disagree with what the manager's doing, you've got yeah. to go and. Well, I would. I would yeah. have rather won a game than lost a game. I know that. Yeah. And well, you, you don't win a game. You don't win a game if you're no try. <laughs> One standout moment for me just before Spurs got their consolation goal was Jurgen Klopp on the touchline shouting, "Pass the ball!" After Mo Salah tried to go it alone, rather than lay it off to Daniel Sturridge, who was. Uh, 
most likely in a better position on the penalty spot. Now, Robbie Fowler writing in his newspaper column this morning said he could totally understand that greedy streak in Mo Salah and the other forwards. But Kenny, can you empathise a bit with Jurgen and the emotions that you would have been feeling at the dugout at that stage? Well, I'm not trying to have a go at anybody, but for me, it was more important that the team scored than an individual. For me, if there was if there was somebody in a better position than me, I would gladly lay it aside to him because I was rather we scored. And if he's in a better position to score, then let him have a go. So the other problem is if you never saw him or did he, did he see him? If he's not seen him, then he can't, he can't pass it. Can he? He's going to have a go himself. I don't know if he saw him because only Mo knows if he saw him. Um, mm-hmm. But as I say, I, I, I don't think uh, I don't think it's about self glory, is it? It's a, and I don't think Mo would be thinking like that. I think he, might, he made the decision that he was going to have a go himself because he thought that was the best thing to do, not because he was selfish. And Paul, there was a, a couple of other examples in the game as well, wasn't there? I think there was a couple that that Mane took where he could have laid one off for Keita, for example. But is it, it? Have you any concerns about the front three being a bit greedy and out of sync, or is it just a case of in one of, in one of these upcoming games, some teams really going to get their jotters from Liverpool and they're, they're going to absolutely spank them for a few? That's right. I I think the front three have scored in every game between them. Is that right? It will be. Yeah, I think it will be. One of them scored in all five games. So I think people have unrealistic expectations. I think Liverpool are playing not not conservatively, but a little bit uh, less high risk in, in these games. And they're not... I think we're, we're used to the spell in the season. Last season when we were blowing teams out the water and, and going goal after goal after goal and playing an expansive style. I think there's been a definite shift shift in mindset this season where Liverpool are playing to win games. They're not playing to to go and blast teams out the water uh, for 90 minutes. I think that they're actually managing games this season. And I think you're not going to be in mid-season form at the beginning of the season either. So I think a combination of, of those things is, is probably why we're at why, where we're at. Uh, and I, I agree with it. I think you don't. I think the one thing that we've shown now in in the first five games of the season that we can defend uh, with a lead, and we when we go in front, we we are difficult to break down. So I, we don't need to be reckless in in our attacking play. And I think that we're not. If that continues, I don't think we're going to see the same numbers from from the front three, but we'll see more wins. Uh, and and also, as my dad said earlier, he made a great point when he said there's a difference between uh, making a bad decision and not seeing a decision to be made. So if if, if you've got to ask the player if, if they've if they've shot when there was a pass open, did you see him? Because it's either it makes it a totally different situation. If you see the person that you could pass to, then you've made the wrong choice. If you don't see the person that you that you are meant to pass to, then you only had one choice to make anyway. So it's a different thing that you need to fix, whether it's awareness or whether it's decision making. And only if you ask the question do you know the answer to that. I think there's only there's only talking about the first five games that we would have expected to have a, a difficult game against. We've done well in the previous four, but there's four results, three points each game. We got the three points from those those games last year as well. So 
the Tottenham result was a real bonus, getting the, the full three points yeah. for that because we get nothing the year before. And I think mm-hmm. when you're playing in a league, I mean, if you have a look at uh, Newcastle start, you would think they were having a hard time, but they've played what Arsenal, Chelsea, Man City. I mean, that's to be perfectly honest. It's not a shock if you get beat by one of those three clubs, is it? So the games that we've got the points from, we would have been disappointed. But if we'd have lost any, apart from the Tottenham one, but that is a positivity. And the we maybe, as Paul said, the change of mentality within the the dressing room to go and get the games won uh, and don't give them any encouragement. And if that's going to be the case for the rest of the season, I think we're in for a pleasant season. Now, turning our attention to the Champions League, and the Reds will be in action at Anfield soon enough with that mouth-watering challenge of uh, Paris Saint-Germain awaiting us on Tuesday night. And, uh, Kenny, I'm sure, as you've already done in the show, you'll be the first to advocate. Uh, you can only beat the team that's beat in front of you, and it's all about teamwork. But given the less high-profile sides we faced in the group stages last year, I've seen a mix of both excitement and trepidation about PSG being first up this year. Uh, how do you think we'll do in this game? Well, there's trepidation will come from PSG. I don't think it comes from us. I mean, we, we re- I'm sure we've got utmost respect for PSG. Last mm-hmm. year, I saw them play twice against Celtic. And, well, they weren't half impressive. But then when they stepped up, uh, stepped up in class, they get put out. Um, I think it's going to be a difficult game. Um, but then... You're supposed to get difficult games, and the, and the thing is, if you come away from it without losing, you're going to have a chance. I think obviously PSG and ourselves are going to be the two that goes through. We naturally try to upset the, the forecast, but I don't see, I don't see. I mean, the game uh, is hugely important. It's going to be hugely entertaining. You, as Paul said, Mbappe. See, I've learned from last week. <laughs> He's Mbappe. Will be there. Neymar's there, uh, but they're not the only two. Uh, so they're a very, very sound team. But it will be really interesting to see how they perform. Compared, Celtic never gave them much opposition last year in both games. I think it was five, five nil and seven one. They lost, um, and they were really impressive. And to be fair to PSG, when they got themselves in front, they kept pushing on for for more goals. Uh, they were really pleasant to watch but struggled when they had to step up in class and I think they get put out in the, in the, the, the first knockout stages or early doors anyway. They never got too far after the, the group stage. So they, they are an impressive side but then we're not too bad either. And Paul, your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I think, we're, I think it suits us to play against better teams because even if you look against Tottenham, they... They try to build from the back, and most of most of the problems they they caused for themselves were trying to build from the back against us. They possessed the ball a lot in their own half, and it gave us an opportunity to use what we're best at, which is the high pressure, and and punish them when they're at the most expansive. And I think PSG will do the same. PSG will do the same. They'll try and build from the back. They'll try and they'll try and possess the ball at the back. We'll sit. We'll wait for them. And then we'll hit them in transition. We're, we're not. We will allow them to have the ball. 
And um, and we will. I, I so I think it actually suits us the better opposition we play against because we'll have more space to use our our, our speed and in, in transition against. I but, think it suits us, Paul. I think the quality, of the people that defensively, it's going to have the ball at their feet for PSG, is much greater than the players at Tottenham. With all due respect to the players at Tottenham, and I think, I think we will put them under a bit of pressure. But I think it could be more difficult for us to get it back early enough. So, yeah. I think it'll be a really good game. Yeah, I think so, Dan. But that, that's it, isn't it? I mean, it, the we we take risks when we're pressing, and, and they'll take risks on the ball. And, and it, at the end of the day, it, it's who plays their style better on the day that's going to win the game, and, and who shows the quality in, in the key moments. And that's what I'm saying. I I don't think it scares. Liverpool to go up against the Barcelona or to go up against the Paris Saint-Germain. I think it's a, a, a Man City, as we've proved. I think it. I think it suits us because we're quite happy to play without the ball. Uh, but and then, tr- so so I think it suits us. I think. Unless I'm not trying to deny the quality of Paris Saint-Germain, but it it does suit us. It does. It is. We can set up. And, and the other thing that you can probably predict is. You know what system Liverpool are going to play, and you know what system Paris and Germain are going to play. So both coaches can set up for for the game uh, and work in the build up to the game, knowing pretty much that there's not going to be too many tactical changes. Well, also, I would think we can't underestimate what Paris and Germain think about Liverpool. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they would not be happy with the draw in any way, shape, or form. Correct. And also getting into the game, you've got Jurgen against Tuchel, who they, they should know each other well for German Bundesliga. Yeah. So yeah. that may be quite interesting and quite intriguing. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Never thought about that. Yeah, it'll be good. Two yeah, two Dortmund. Two X Dortmund. Yes. But the the uh, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be great. I, I'm really looking forward to it. I think, as you said, Dad, we're we're. I think one of the things in, in football that I, just from like a history of watching Liverpool, I, I remember when I was young, t- and you used to listen to interviews about uh, of other managers talking after the game when they came to Liverpool and and other players and what fans used to say, and and basically teams used to come to Anfield and just try not to get embarrassed, you know, and there was a fear factor about Liverpool, and sometimes that. You've still got to win the game, but sometimes teams come to Anfield expecting to lose. Um, and I think we lost that for a number of years, and I think we've got it back. I genuinely think teams are scared of Liverpool now. I, I do, and, and I think that, as as you said, Dad, they would have seen the draw, and Liverpool is the team with their athleticism and the speed that, that you can look at and you can go, oh, no. It's like a team that you don't want to play against. Because of how hard they're going to work, they're going to be in your face for the, the full ninety minutes. And teams don't enjoy playing against us, and, and they certainly won't enjoy playing against us uh, during the week. I don't think anybody enjoys playing against us. And I no. think if the if it's two legged, I don't think there's too many teams, if any, would survive. Uh, but I don't think they'd be come out with a positive result against us over two legs. I think we no. could beat nearly every one of them over two legs. Yeah. 
And of course, Thomas, Thomas Tuchel was one of them. Klopp came up against him at Liverpool when he was uh, at Dortmund in the quarterfinal of the Europa League a couple of years ago. And Klopp managed to win through that one on that memorable night Anfield. So as, Ke- as Kenny just said, they're over two legs. Liverpool are going to fancy themselves against anyone. But uh... The second leg, the second leg, the, the, one, the game at Anfield, early doors, Dortmund were phenomenal. They burst into a 2-0 lead and the football they were playing was unbelievable. And it took, uh, I think it was Dejan Lovren, wasn't it? Last minute, header. And for me, I think that, that was one of the, and the, the most positive nights, uh, in the European football, uh, in recent times for us. Because it was a fantastic result to go 2-0 down at home, uh, and then come back and snatch a winner later on. It was, I thought it was a great night. Yeah, one of those memorable uh, champion, what well, was Europa League night under the lights, but uh, one of those real memorable ones, that one. Now, one thing the media have jumped on when previewing this PSG game is the headline catching front threes on their respective sides. And all being well with Firmino following that eye injury, we would anticipate he'll take his place alongside uh, Mane and Salah as normal. And up the other end will be Neymar, Mbappe and Cavani. And they'll be tasked with firing the bullets for PSG. Now, Kenny, until recently... We always seem to talk about front twos rather than front threes, be it yourself and Ian Rush, uh, Chris Sutton and Alan Shearer, Andy Cole and Dwight York, Thierry Henry and Dennis Bergkamp, the list goes on. What's changed in the game and with formations and systems to have us now looking at trios rather than duos? Well, the, the game's never going to stand still, is it? It just moves on with different formations. Uh, I mean, it was 4-4-2 then, it went into, somebody wanted to play five or three at the back, then it went into four. Four, one, one, and play whatever formation you've got. The most important thing about the formation is, have you got the players capable of playing it, and are they happy to play it? So whether you've got three up there, four up there, or one up there, it doesn't make any difference. The formation has got to suit the players, and you can't just throw a formation out there and not have the players to play it. We've got the players to play it. Within the three that's up front, there's a good bit of interchangement. And amongst them, some of them, so they're very flexible. You can have one up there ahead of the Manny and Salah. You can have Firmino sitting a bit deep, and the two white, um, the two white boys up there pushing on. We can we can chop and change a wee bit. So the numbers might be the the same, but the way they line themselves up and the positions they take is uh, is a bit different. And if you're getting stopped one way of doing it, they'll change and they'll go the other way. Firmino will drop back, Manny and Salah will uh, push on. It's it's flexible, it's flexible, but um, it has changed. But then I'm sure there's a lot of other things changed as well. I mean, I see we've got a, a throw-in coach now at Anfield, which uh, will be interesting to see how how that transpires. Hopefully, it's helpful. Um, and I suppose it's it's an important part of the game. It's it's a restart to a game, isn't it? Bogs out of play, you pick it up, you throw it in. So if any little that can help you improve, you take it. I think you said much the same on the Tactics Weekly pod, Paul, last week about the throwing coach. Uh, really, just what your dad said just there. Uh, what what are your thoughts? Anything to add to that on the on the twos and the threes? Yeah, I mean the the throwing one first. It's there's only. There's only certain moments in the game when you're actually in control of the ball. One of them is a, a free kick because the ball, nobody can touch the ball apart from you when you're taking a free kick. The other ones are throwing because 
the ball's in your hands and you're actually in control of it. You're in possession of the ball, the same when the ball's with the goalkeeper's hands. It's the only two moments when you're in true possession of the ball. Uh, and then, so ultimately, you you can actually you can actually perform uh, predictable movements in that moment. So I, I get it. I get it. You know, if if you look yesterday, we score from a corner. If that's a long throw, that we can do that from as well. It gives us a better chance of winning. Even if it's only one goal a season, it's worth it. If it wins us one game a season, it's worth it. Um, and with regards to the the front two and the front three, uh, football. Yeah, uh, I know you said the game evolves; it doesn't stand still, Dad. I just think it keeps going round in circles. So if you can go back to Ajax back however many years ago, uh, where they would play four three three, and I think you were manager at Blackburn at the time, Dad, and your the youth team played four three three. You had Damien Doff, Johnson, players like that playing on the wings. And uh, so it, it was something that was that just keeps going round in circles. I remember when I was at when I was at Liverpool when we came by, I think Germany were playing three at the back at the time. And came in for pre-season and Liverpool started playing three at the back. And it, it morphed in certain times into uh, a three four two one. It was called a three-six-one then at Liverpool, and we had two holding midfielders and then Berger and McManaman underneath Fowler. And then all of a sudden, fast forward to five years ago, FC Basel are playing it in the Champions League against Liverpool. Then Liverpool start playing it. Then you've got other teams in the Premier League start playing the three-four-two-one. But it was done years ago. Um, England are playing three-five-two. Germany did it years ago. The football just keeps going round, and, and at this moment in time, front threes are, are fashionable. Uh, because the best teams are playing it and they're winning. But the best teams would also win playing a 4-4-2. So it's just, it's not really, it's not really too much to do with systems. It's to do, as my dad said, about recruiting the players to play whichever system that you want to play. And if you've got the best players to play a certain system, every system will work. But football will just keep going round like fashion. It'll keep going round if someone's Someone's wearing red boots. Somebody else will wear red boots. If a team's successful with two strikers, other teams will start playing with two strikers. Four four two became trendy with Atletico Madrid. It just goes round in circles. It's like the fashion. But the people who are involved in playing in whatever position, position in any formation, will make because of the style of play that they have and what their assets are or maybe even what the weaknesses are, will dictate how you're going to play. So yeah. it, you could play 4-4-2, but there's so many conundrums within that. As the two wide people, wingers are, are converted fullbacks. Correct. So it's all. Numbers are okay. Uh, the most important thing is don't confuse them and make sure yeah. that they're well aware of how to play it and they're comfortable playing it. Because if they're not yeah. comfortable playing it, you can you can forget it. And, and Dad, to your point, Man City play with a front three with Sané and Sterling on the touchlines, and then their their two number their two number tens, Silver, and it's it's not De Bruyne at the moment. I think it was the other Silver uh, yesterday. They go and play really really high in the spaces between the front three, whereas Liverpool, their front three, their front three are narrow, and the fullbacks get 
high and wide and, and give the width. So it's there's as you said, it the numbers don't really mean anything without context. No. Well, that's good, Paul. We agreed on some. Oh yeah, very good. Yeah, don't do it, it again. It does then. tend to happen about once a show. <laughs> that must be us finished there. Yeah. <laughs> right. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. <laughs> now, as we always like to say here on AO Pro, we're always keen to make the listeners as much a part of the podcasts and, uh, as well, certainly as much as we can. And uh, with that in mind, we have a few questions from listeners for both Kenny and for Paul. And first up is a question from a name you both know, and that's Gav Jones. And he wants to know uh, your thoughts on. Don't how- answer it. <laughs> Don't answer it. <laughs> <laughs> your thoughts on how Klopp might look to rotate his players over the next few games uh, and w- would you go with the same team from the Spurs uh, win against PSG and then look to mix things up against Southampton in the league and then Chelsea in the EFL Cup I know Kenny mentioned obviously earlier that we've only made that one change uh, with Jordan Henderson coming in for one game and then out for the next one back to the back to the same 11 are we expecting that to stay or is it is it getting to that stage now we might see some of the fringe players Kenny well I, I don't think they're they may be fringe players, but we've only played five games. So they're no fringe. They're important members of a squad. To be successful in this day and age, you need that real quality squad. And the players that haven't been playing, they're probably more important than the ones that are playing because they've got to keep their enthusiasm up and they've got to keep the positivity up and believe that they're going to get in and play. And when they get the opportunity to go and play, then do your best. That's all you can ask. But I don't think there'll be there'll be whole, wholesale changes, but I think one thing is a guarantee: Jurgen will be making if he makes a change, would make a change uh, that he thinks would be necessary. I don't think it necessarily means that you never played well. I think it's more about formation, how the manager sees the sees the upcoming match. I, I I don't I don't know if they would be making too many changes, if any. I think he just go with what, what he had. Uh, obviously you've got to take into account the quality of Neymar and you've got to take into account Mbappe and Cavani and, but also uh, for us Joe Gomez has been a huge bonus this year coming in at centre-back and Joe came as a young centre-back for Charlton uh, had a bad year last year with injury but that year probably allowed him uh, a lot of time to, to develop and build himself up physically and now he's a lot stronger than what he was last year and when he came here. So, I mean, I would think that for us, he'll play the team that he thinks is best for us, but he'll also be taking into consideration where is the threat to PSG and whether he makes a change, whether he brings in another centre-back, maybe, I don't know, uh, that's up to him, but he'll be doing it in our best interest. And Paul, do you expect any changes for the PSG game and, and the wider thoughts uh, going forward into those uh, those next two? So, first and foremost, uh, he'll put a team on the pitch in, in both these games, uh, PSG and Southampton, that, that he feels is good enough to win the game. Uh, there's great momentum at Liverpool at the moment. He wants to keep that going. Uh, when when he's looking at the two games, he's, he's looking first and foremost how they'll win both these games. He's then thinking, how do I how do I do so in a way that minimises the risk of injury uh, as much as possible? So I I don't see uh, it's borderline. It really is the the Tuesday is just enough time to recover from the game on Saturday. I don't think the game on Saturday was too much exertion for us. I don't think we had to play 
uh, at too high a level to, to win that game on Saturday. So I think I see Henderson coming back in uh, and maybe Cater going out, especially away from home in, in the Champions League and Milner and Ronaldo playing it in the other roles, but keeping everything else the same. And I think we will probably see rotation against Southampton. I think that's when you might see uh, Fabino get a chance or maybe even Shaqiri or, you know, I think I think we will see uh, rotation in that game. Um, not not because uh, the players n- need a rest right now, but because the players are good enough. The players are good enough that are going to come in to still win the game. But also, it stops fatigue from accumulating later on in the season and then you run the high risk of injury. So I, I do think I, I do think I would predict one change um, against uh, against PSG, and then I would uh, expect multiple changes against against Southampton. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be uh, for making multiple changes against Southampton. I think you've got the Carabao Cup coming up after that against Chelsea. I think that would mm-hmm. be the time when they'll make the multiple changes. I think if the people on the bench against Southampton, if it's gone well for us, they might get a wee bit longer than what they've had recently as substitutes coming on uh, in mm-hmm. preparation Maybe, yeah. for the game against Carabao, uh, Chelsea in the Carabao Cup because I think both Chelsea and Liverpool will make wholesale changes for that game. Uh, yeah, maybe you're But right, it yeah. still makes us strong enough to beat them. And the boys that are going to be playing have got they've got a real market to put down for themselves. Uh, and then come the I, league game come the league game on the Saturday at Stamford Bridge after the cup tie. That'll be two, you've not learned two different anything. teams. Yeah, it's two yeah, different yeah, teams. It's a good point. It's a good point. And the other thing as well, that is what Liverpool have tended to do to manage minutes is not 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 start players, but take players off that they feel might be fatiguing to protect them. So, uh, I I think you're right. I take back what but, I said. I, I do the, think that, I think they'll play strong teams in both, but if they feel that they need to manage minutes, they'll take players off and, and bring on substitutions. Well, last year we had, uh, like, some of the young boys were coming in and playing, and it was great for them. But yeah. most of the younger boys that were up on the bench last year, they've gone out and loan now. And that's been replaced by the likes of the Shakiri, who's a wee bit more experienced. Yeah. Uh, so, so Fabino, I don't know if he's injured or not, but he, he needs to get a run out at some stage, just to keep yeah. him going. So there's others that are a wee bit more experienced that we can put in. Um, that from last year we never had, and I think yeah. he'll use that. Yeah, the the second team, uh, so-called second team, the. The, the rest of the squad that if, if you actually write down a team with 11 players that weren't playing against Spurs it's a good team you know well, I think it'll still fit. be a strong team yeah they'll if think they're it'll fit. still be a, if, yeah. if they're fit they've got it'll be a strong uh, team they've got a good back four as well yeah. good goalkeeper mainly coming in Shakiri. Yeah. Uh, you've got you've Fabino got Henderson Fabino Henderson well Daniel Sturridge as well Daniel Sturridge Daniel Sturridge yeah, there's, uh, there's a there's a lot Solanke. of Solanke. Yeah, it's not a bad team yeah. to put out, is it? No, no. And I think no. I think as a player, there's only so long you can go without playing. You need to play. Yeah. I, I always like to play just to get my bearings on the pitch. Uh, even if it was a reserve game, I think it's important to 
to get your bearings and a bit of feel for where you should be and, and what's running about you. Not necessarily the opponent, but more, more so the pitch. I played for 15 years and never got my bearings once. Well, that's that's not my fault, Paul. <laughs> I gave you a sat nav and everything. Is that is that back to your mother? You that... must have, you must have taken it back because your mum used to wrap your sandwiches up in the road map, but you never took any hint. <laughs> 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 this comes back to the adoption papers again. <laughs> it's kind of funny there because uh, Kenny's answer on the rotation was pretty much to a T what uh, our own sports scientist Simon Brundish said on rotation here. So so Kenny's with the sports scientist there and Paul's just uh, mixing up a little bit about then conceding to the point and deciding to do it that way in the end anyway. Yeah, but but hold on a minute. I don't know nothing about science. Uh, just common sense for me, I think. And I think most sports scientists would say exactly the same as certainly Simon Brandish. So you're on the same page as him now. The next question is one specifically for Paul, and it came from AK on Twitter. He wants to know your thoughts on these late Joel Matip substitutions that Klopp seems to like. And uh, they almost seem to lead to us always conceding a goal. And it's uh, is it just a regular coincidence or is it upsetting the system and the way we defend late in games? So there's there's a couple of ways that you can look at it. Because we've, we've done it a couple of different ways over over the years we've we've changed to a back four um we've changed to a back four by take by putting on Matip and putting Gomez to right back and taking Trent off and then we've also gone to a back five so there's two different ways that we've done it it's not just a sober putting Matip on to to shore things up there's been different different tactical implementations of that that so there's a couple of things that happen in a game if a team a team's obviously when they're, they're throwing, uh, they're, they're just throwing caution to the wind at the end of, of games. They're going to start taking more risks and they're going to start getting more desperate and putting balls into your box. So it makes sense to have another big body uh, to, to deal with that. But you've got to balance that with, if you make it a back five, then you're making it easier for them to serve the ball in. Uh, and you can sometimes end up getting pinned in and ended up a little bit deeper. Uh, the other the other thing that you've got to say as well is a lot of coaches don't like messing with the back four at the end of games because they feel that they're mentally tuned into the game and it's hard harder to come on as a sub and be straight in at 100% concentration level. So uh, I think there's going to be occasions where it works and occasions where you encourage pressure. And I think that's where the manager's got to use his uh, experience Experience and, and knowledge to to make a call on on what he feels. Do do we protect the service or do we prevent the service? And and that substitution will be based upon that. But can you tell me again that it's no work? There was but what no people way. will say is what people will say is that we've uh, we conceded when we conceded no, no. a goal but against did Spurs, concede, but we want did we concede any points. We did in the one, there was a West Brom one, that's the most obvious one that comes to mind for me at the end of last season when we were 2-0 up, we made the substitution and we conceded two goals. Well, I, I, I think I remember a game at Watford where it was 1-0 and they put uh, they put Matt up on as a substitute late on. Uh, and is that when Chan scored and we won 1-0? With the overhead kick, yeah. With that, that was the season before, yeah, I think you might be right. And and we survived that, so I don't think we've lost too many points. Unless we've it, lost goals, we've lost goals, but I'm not yeah, sure about points. But that's all right. As long as we've got more goals in the opposition, we've won the game. 
But the other thing as well is that the numbers will be a little. You can't. You also can't. Uh, you can't say how many goals we'd have conceded if the substitution no. wasn't made. Um, yeah. And also the the numbers. If you're winning, and a team, and you're you're making the choice to protect the lead by defending your 18 yard box, then you're also the numbers are going to be a little bit skewed anyway because teams are going to be are going to be attacking. And that, uh, what I would also say is that Liverpool. It'd be interesting to do a comparison with the amount of goals Liverpool have scored in the last ten minutes of games. And the amount of goals Liverpool have conceded in the last ten minutes of games. It'll be interesting to see what those numbers are. Well, I think it's more interesting to see it what, from a winning position if we put somebody yeah. on and, and what, how many points has it cost us or how many have we walked off with. Yeah. And yeah. I think I'd rather think the number goals, of points yeah. that we've walked off with is far in excess of the the points that we've lost. Yeah. Well that would be the best way to do it, Dad. If if you if you got the last if you got the last five or ten minutes plus yeah. Added time, and you worked out how many points were either gained or lost from, or kept or lost from, uh, from a position. How many times the result changed in the last ten minutes? That would be I the best way. To be ready. Yeah, that sounds like a challenge for Gags and the under pressure boys. Is Gags is Gags not on that now? No. <laughs> hey, you probably you'll probably have the answer for us by the end of the show. <laughs> uh, you, the show finishes next week. <laughs> <laughs> it would if Gags had as well. Uh, anyway, sure. the next the next one's from Harinder Singh, and he's a regular match goer at both home and away, and he wants to ask Kenny uh, how he, how Kenny feels just before a match starts. Is it similar feeling to how it was as a player or a manager, or, and in uh, in which cases you always look pretty calm, or is it are you just now as nervous as the rest of us and hoping for that win? I looked calm before games when I was working. That was the uh, that was the insinuation, anyway. Oh well, I must have been a good actor because <laughs> I was. I think I think it's only natural that you get a bit nervous, apprehensive, uh, and I was always I was always uh, a wee bit uh, nervous going into in games. Uh, as a player uh, or a manager, as both. Yeah. Um, and the, the the busiest place before a game, or the most the most visited place for me was always the toilet before the match. Uh, <laughs> and I, I never found, I never, I never thought there was anything wrong with that. And there's another people say about super superstitions and what you do. And I, I don't know if it's, I don't know if superstitions the right word. I, I think I, routine would be better. Getting yeah. up in the morning and habits. Ah, you have a yeah. you have a shave and you shave the same way. Yeah. Driving to the ground and the uh, the same route or wait. But you were bad. You were bad for bad. superstitions, weren't you? No, you 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 you, you were. You had a lot of superstitions. It was routine habits. Habits. That was, yeah, my, that was my routine. My habits. Yeah. A new tie for every game or uh, when you were playing and. If you lost a game, it went to shirts, and if you lost a game, it went to suits. And by the way, it started to get a bit expensive when you needed a new suit for every game. <laughs> That's what I thought. I thought club suits were a great invention, <laughs> or track suits. Yeah. No, so yeah, but now, now, uh, obviously, I've no got the. I still get the same uh, uh, enjoyment looking forward to it, but I don't have the same nerves. I'm, I'm no. Sometimes, if it's a, if it's a really big ones, then fine, yeah. But 
this doesn't mean disrespect for some of the other ones. You go along and uh, you don't take it for granted, but no, there's less apprehension and less uh, less thoughts about what's going to happen if we don't win because I always expect them to win. Can I ask you a question? Did you uh, feel more nervous or less nervous as a player or a manager? What? Which one well, did you... Every every game wasn't the same. Sometimes no, you were more nervous than the next one. And the same for management. Yeah. Uh, some games it, it was... But in general... In general, did you feel more? Did you did you have more going through your mind as a manager or as a player? Well, I think you, as a manager, you've got everybody's thoughts going through your mind, haven't you? I'm That's thinking it, about yeah. what, what should what should I have told him? Did I tell him? Yeah. I've watched the games. Did I remember to tell him that? And, and you're yeah. running through everything else. Whereas when it's yourself, if you look at the opposition, you're saying to yourself, "I've seen him playing. He does this, yeah. or he does that, or he's got a habit of this, or a habit of that," yeah. and it's. So I would say, pretty obviously, that as a manager, you've got a greater responsibility to make yeah. sure that you've informed other people. That's what it. you've seen and what you believe. You, but as you're a player, responsible for you're responsible for player, a lot you more people than yourself. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I agree that, that just going through it. Oh, is well like, done. That's twice. I agree. No, but it's no, but it's as a player. You as long as you are you are a little bit more selfish because you you really although you want the team to win. Before the game, you're only really worrying about what you need to do to be part of that. And then, as a, I know you coach other people when, when you're playing and you, you need other people to help you win, but whereas as a manager, you, you're trying to think, oh, I wonder if he's in the right frame of mind. Did he sleep well? Did he do this? Did he do that? And Yeah, but it's, uh, it's and a also totally if different it's, also, And you feel less in control, don't you, really, as a manager? Yeah, you did yeah but also if the game's not going too well, yeah. as a player... you you were concerned about how you could correct it yourself or correct yourself yeah. if you wanted to do yeah. well. As a manager, you've got responsibility everybody. Yeah. 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 But I tell you, it's almost... But let me tell a, you... As a, yeah. out of, I, can I ask you another question? No, let me answer this one first. Go on, Either way, I was fantastically fortunate to be involved in, in doing something that you really love to do. So... Uh, as I say, it wasn't a, it wasn't a, a burden. It was just a, a way of life. Yeah. That's what happens. That's what you expected to do, and but you get there's huge enjoyment at it as well. But that feeling becomes addictive, Dad. It's hard to. It it really does. Although it, although it's a strange, strange feeling that you get, it is addictive. You miss it when you don't have it. You know, and and I think as footballers, as you know, we we get used to that feeling. And it becomes addictive. That what I was gonna, what I was gonna ask you was, um, uh, when, when, when you, when you played, was it a different feeling when you won, as it was when you're a manager? Because what I fa- found, is, uh, I think it I'll, is. I'll, when I, when I, I think... if you won as a player, it was joy and you were celebrating straight away. As a manager, when you win, it's almost relief. It's a different. It's a tight. It's a tight, slightly different feeling. I feel when you win as a manager or as you win as a as a as a player. It's still fantastic, but to win. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. But it's. I mean, it is you need to as win. A player, it is yeah. definitely as a player because you're in the dressing room. And you've got a bit of yeah. banter. Although yeah. the manager's in the dressing room, there's no part of the banter, really, is it? Yeah. No. So, but but it, but you get your own. You get your own satisfaction from the win. 
And I tell you, if, yeah. if you don't enjoy winning a the game, there's something wrong with you. Either yeah. as a manager, yeah. a player, or a supporter. Yeah. yeah. No, you've got, to, you've, got, you've got to enjoy it. It's the no, best. That's, that's what you do it for. It's a definite it enjoyment. Is different it's, yeah. Because yeah. there's a relief, isn't there? Because there, there is so much pressure. It's almost like you've you've released some of that pressure and then you enjoy it a little bit later. But the initial the initial feeling is relief for me. Yeah, but I think also, uh, if you're the manager, I think there's also the reward that you're given and the, the reward that you have for yourself because you know there's an awful lot of other people who are going to enjoy that as well, who's going yeah. to enjoy the victory. Whereas the Bill Shankly, you made people happy. That's it. You make people happy. Yeah, yeah. And and by the way, I think there was figures came out to show the productivity of the workmen after, like, say, Liverpool had won a game or Liverpool and Denmark had won a game, and 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 around Liverpool had increased after there was positive results in the football. It's amazing. That's not. It's a fact of life. Never heard that. I know, but I've never heard that before. Oh well, it can't. Maybe it's not true. Well, probably <laughs> if it came out of your mouth. <laughs> Who cares? It's nice to think that is, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> Who cares? I'm running with that. <laughs> the next one comes from uh, Miss Nina Kowser, and she would like to know from you both which current Liverpool player you would have liked to have played alongside or to have managed if you could only pick one. Me? <sighs> uh, someone someone could go first, and then one of you no, is no, not allowed to copy. It, it, it has to be a current player. That was the question. You, who do you want to go first up? Who do I want to go first? Yeah. Only you. Right. I, do you know what? For me, I wouldn't want to play alongside any of them because it means that one of them wouldn't have been on the pitch and it meant <laughs> Liverpool had less chance of winning. <laughs> because uh, uh, they, no, this team is, this team is, uh, it, it's incredible. You know, it, it's like you when you're looking throughout football, you you really, really have to look hard to find a, a player that could impr- improve this team. But just, I mean, I think it would be, I think, from your point of view, Dad, I think you this system would have almost been perfect for you playing where Firmino plays with the pace of Mane and Salah to be able to run in behind and, and you being able to find them. I think it would have been, that would have been, having two Ian Rushes running in behind for you would have been incredible. I think that uh... would, I think that would have been yeah, I think this. I think I think this system would have almost been perfect for you. Uh, not my age, Paul. But <laughs> <laughs> no, well, what? So go on. Who would you? I don't. Who would that pick? I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be unhappy to play alongside any of them. I think the quality that we have in and around uh, the first team squad is exceptional. And I think every single player that's in there has got a contribution to make to the football club. And if they've got a contribution to make in this day and age, it would have been the same in whatever era they played in. They would still be there to make a positive contribution. So, I mean, I know there's a... I'm getting a a backside full of creosol here. (laughs) He's sitting on the fence. But I just... I, I, I couldn't pick one. I don't what know who you would leave out. Then? I don't, who, who would you leave out to put me in? Who would you leave out to put me in? That's the other thing. Uh, Alison. So here's the 
here's another question then. With uh, your, if you were to, I know you played with Rushy, right? I know you played with Rushy, but if you could have played with any other striker from any generation, who do you think you would have made a good partnership with apart from, apart from him? Because that goes down as one of the greatest partnerships in British football. But some people have that opinion. But for me, why would you want somebody else when you had the best? I know, I know, but I'm just oh, talking. Okay, who, yeah. if, did you ever, did you ever look at another? Did you ever look at another number nine and say, "I, I think me and him would play well together." Did you ever? Did you no, ever? Or it, were you ever impressed? Like even, yeah, like you look at like a a Torres in his prime, or a aye. Van Basten, or a someone like who? Who did you? Aye, you look did at you ever all look the best, at players. You look at yeah. all the best players, right? And you think how great they were. Torres was, was was fantastic for us and uh, the way he left might have tarnished it for a few people, but I don't think that should take away the, the memories that, that all the Liverpool fans had of Torres. Um, it's just a shame that he never stayed long enough to form a partnership with, with Luis Suarez because I think that would have been sensational. But for I me, don't... Paul, I'm no... I, I, I don't know. I've, I, you look at other people, you admire them and you appreciate how good they are. But I was if I, if you had to play anybody had to play with Rushy, they, sh- they wouldn't have been disappointed. So well, here's all I'm all I'm, I'm trying to say. To, I'm not going to substitute Rushy for anybody. So you made a comment on an earlier pod, right? Where you said where you said that um, where you said that um, when you when you're a manager, you've got to when you're a manager, you've got to under, look at your weaknesses and then employ people to to make sure Aye. that. As a yeah. coach, that you you can you can have a, a great coaching staff and you can cover all bases. Well, yeah. so with your attributes as a player, as a second striker, really, or a number ten, whatever you want to call it, I think what you needed is the same in a partnership with the front two. I think what you needed, I think Rushy was perfect. It was the perfect complement because he he was unbelievable at running in behind, and then you were fantastic at playing through ball. So it was a perfect complement. You know, so it might not. So if you'd have played with Suarez, who maybe didn't have, who might have been as good a player as Rushy, but might not been as suited to playing with you. All I was asking was, was, was there ever another striker that you looked at the profile of him and said that would, me and him could play well together? No. Nope. Yeah. I have. I've seen other people play and say I could have played with him. Yeah, but I can't Give me an see example. anybody. I can't see anybody that I, that I looked at when I was playing. Yeah, and this is before Torres. This is before yeah. Louis yeah. was playing. I never looked at anybody and thought, "Oh, I wish I had him and no, uh, no Rushy." No, I'm not saying that. <laughs> it was like it. It was. It was. Well, it so was, just leave it. They complimented each other. No, but I'd be interested to know of a player that you well, looked and thought, "Oh, I could have played with him." And how many times have I said no? We're not going to get Rushy replaced on the field, but perhaps with the no, next question. No, Rushy's per, not been so. Perhaps with the next no. question, perhaps with the next question, we might be able to. And this is, this is a, a question from Kev Hegarty over in the States. And he says, we see Kenny sitting next to Rushy at Anfield a lot. Can he let me know who's the worst former player to sit and watch a match with? He was the worst former player, but and what, what, how do you define worst? 
Right. Not in terms of the most annoying to sit next to and watch a game. Oh, but in, for talking, or, yeah, or it must be. Yeah, it must be. Oh, I don't know. I don't listen to them. That's <laughs> <laughs> why you sit next to my mother. Most of the boys that go to the game are very quiet. That I've sat next to. Uh, During the game, would, it would be a nuisance. Well, I think, here's the thing: um, I win. As, I don't know as footballers. You don't most like them people speaking to you during the game. They what? You get annoyed if anyone speaks to you during the game. So you're quite happy when you don't speak to someone when you're watching the game. You need to. Uh, yeah, I think. I think most comment. footballers. Yeah. You I don't like. Pass I, a wee comment, but I, I don't. Uh, well, the most irritant would be the person that that spoke a lot. Well, what I find irritating is when you're on the bench, right? No naming any names, but you're a manager and somebody's in your ear all the time talking to you during the game when I was manager. I hate, I hated that. I didn't like that. Because yeah, they don't know what's going in your mind. Yeah, the guy's got to have an opinion, but by the way, give the manager a bit of space. Let him have his thoughts. And when you're asked to you give your opinion, give it. Is that why you stood outside the dugout? Uh, no, because I couldn't see. Because <laughs> Jürgen does the same, doesn't he? He'll go... I he'll couldn't see. Spend... <laughs> the, the, there used to be a... The time. I think the pitch, the, the dugout was lower and the pitch obviously has got to have a camber on it to let the water yeah. run off. Yeah. And all you could see in the far side were socks running about. Um, oh. And it takes a while before you can adjust to not like a wee bit judgment is it going to go is it staying in there where exactly are they so no that's why I stood up because I couldn't see yeah but I'm, I'm are you this I I don't like for that reason that you said about people speaking to you during the game I don't like going to a pub to watch the Liverpool game I want to go into a room where there's nobody else and my, Rocco comes in and, and watches some games with me now for a little bit till oh. he gets bored but I don't I don't like watching games with other people that are going to speak to me. I, I want to concentrate on the game. Are you the same? Ah, I don't like I watching it in a bar. No, I don't. I don't drink, so... <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> not, not, not any less, just exactly the same. <laughs> well, the caveats need training for that one. Well, we do, have, we do have some more excellent questions, but we're going to save them uh, for next week now. We've got a brilliant question from uh, Alan O'Donoghue to come. There's, a, there's another one from Andy Wales that he's been asking me to ask for a few weeks. Uh, Jay Reed's asked a question, and so has Justin Wales. But if we get into them ones, we could be here for another hour and appreciate the guys have got stuff to go and do. So uh, we'll draw a close to this episode of The King and AI. And as ever, do give us your feedback. The best way is via Twitter to at Kenneth Dalgleish or to at Dalgleish Ball or of course to uh, at Anfield Index Pro. And just that important reminder once again, if you're picking up what the King and AI are throwing down, then all we ask is one thing. Please do visit www.anfieldindex.com forward slash MDA and do whatever little you can to help with the Marina Dalgleish appeal. All that remains for me to do is to thank the fantastic Paul Dalgleish Thank you. The, one minute. The, what was the word you called me? Irregular. I don't think I called you irregular. I think irregular. What was it you called me? I think I did use the word irregular, but said we would get some comments yeah. of the irregular is that not, variety. It's good is to that be different. When you can't go, is that when you can't go to the toilet? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and once I think there's a message. Paul, there's a message there somewhere. Well, <laughs> you, you, the, you told me there's enough of that comes out of my mouth. 
yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, I think that's far worse than saying that some of your comments may be the irregular variety. There we go. <laughs> and once again, uh, I, we need to thank the incredible Sir Kenny Dalgleish. Thank you, Kenny. No problem. Uh, uh, mark this date down in history. Paul agreed twice with me. So... I know we'll see if we can some... we'll see if we can aim for three agreements by yeah. next week. Where, uh... some, something to look forward to. <laughs> Still drunk from last night. <laughs> it's early in the morning here, me. Must be. I won't agree with oh, you by good. two o'clock. <laughs> well. And I will see if we can start making some regular uh, regular uh, breaks of our personal best on these agreements because I'm really enjoying doing my better father and son council in here every week. It's, uh, <laughs> it's nice to uh, nice to know that I'm helping the Dalgleish family on a weekly basis. So uh, Well, that's dispute that's a disputed fact as well. The father and son. <laughs> hey, we had to end it on the adoption note again, didn't we? Uh, now we'll well, now we'll let you hear some uh, final words from the capable uh, the capable lady that there is no doubt was not adopted, and that's uh, Mrs. Kelly Kate. So goodbye from all of us. Thanks very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show. There is one more thing that you could do, but it doesn't really require any effort. If you use Amazon, if you go to smile.amazon.co.uk, there's an option to select a charity. If you select the Marina Dalgleish appeal, then every time you make a purchase at Amazon, they will make a donation to the charity. All you have to do is use smile.amazon.co.uk as your website to buy things from Amazon. It should, in theory, be quite straightforward. Thanks very much again. Podcast Network.